Welcome to Witch and Goddess. I'm your host, Patty Black. I'm a witch, a teacher, and priestess. Goddess devotion is an essential part of my craft, and many goddesses are my cohorts in magic. Each episode, we explore a different goddess, her lore, and how to connect with her energetically and magically. Welcome back to a new year of Witch and Goddess. Thank you to my loyal listeners who were returning. And if you're a new listener who's shown up for this specific episode, I don't blame you. The tales are filled with romance, seduction, savagery, and of course, the allure of life under the sea. Mermaids and sea goddesses appear in lore and mythology of almost every culture, and many of us have been enchanted by them since our childhoods. We're going to explore what they have in common, their unique magic, and maybe introduce you to some faces you've never encountered before. In general, mermaids are obviously connected to the element of water, to the sea, and femininity. But when we look deeper, there are also themes of unexpected violence, magic, and emotional depth. In some lore, mermaids are representative of the seductive beauty of the ocean, a life of adventure and an unattainable horizon lured many a sailor away from the security of life on land, and perhaps their legends are touched by the perspective of the jealous human partners of seafaring men, watching their lovers pulled from their arms again and again to the glamour and mystery of the open sea. The far-reaching presence of mermaids, the frequency with which they appear in films, television, books, and song, hint that humans have a deep longing to experience the depths of the ocean. Mermaids, half fish and half human, are a visual link bridging the gap between land and sea, earth and water. Much of our popular European mermaid imagery comes from their regular appearances on armor. They are portrayed in some recurring symbolic poses, in her modesty, which means she's shown covering her breasts. In her vanity, the mermaid is depicted looking into a hand mirror. They were also frequently shown with a harp, which may be a connection to the Greek sirens, and possibly the most classic depiction with a comb and mirror. There are a variety of potential meanings of the comb and mirror, including beauty and its shadow side vanity. The looking glass could represent self-reflection, illusion, or intuition, and psychic insight. Mirrors, especially round ones, have been known for their resemblance to the moon, another connection to the feminine, and magic. In tales like The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen and The Legend of Morverin, who we'll meet in part two, we see mermaids as symbols for tragic romance. These are stories of deep and magical love that must face great obstacles. As mermaids are in and of the water, the element of emotions, purification, and healing are strong associations. They swim, they flow, they are often depicted in soft and yielding beauty, but they rarely inhabit shallow waters. Their usual home is the shadowy depths of the sea, which is fathomless, unpredictable, and so very near to the underworld. Mermaids always carry the unspoken possibility of fearsome things. They are hidden and unpredictable the epitome of mystery one never knows when or if they will encounter these sea creatures. 
They're a perfect representation and potential guide for accessing your intuitive self, the unconscious and other hidden knowledge. And what are the origins of mermaids? Atargatis, a Syrian goddess of fertility, sometimes known as Derketo, may be the earliest appearance of a fish and woman hybrid. She may have origins in the conflation of three Canaanite goddesses, Atarat, Anat, and Atart, and it is through Atart that she is commonly linked to the ancient goddess Ishtar. It should be noted that Atargatis Derketo was also known to appear in fully humanoid form, but as early as the first century BCE, Diodorus wrote that Derketo was worshipped with the face of a woman and body of a fish in a shrine at Ashkelon. Her worship may have originated in that location. One version of the goddess's myths provides the story of her transformation from a human to a fish, or mermaid form. The tale says that Draketo fell in love with a beautiful young man and from him had a daughter. Ashamed of the illicit love or possibly of the way her daughter was born, Draketo flung herself into a lake and transformed into a fish with a woman's head. Now her origin stories can be quite different from that. Here's another common version. Atargatis hatched in mermaid form from an egg found floating mysteriously along a river. Atargatis took great pride in being a mermaid, and when she bore a human daughter, she was very upset. So naturally, she killed the baby's father and left her daughter in the wilderness, where she was raised by doves. This child grew up to be the great Assyrian queen Semiramis. Atargatis Derketo was widely venerated, with at least two majestic temples built in her name. She was also honored with sacred fish ponds in Crete and Cyprus and a small temple on Delos. Worshipped as the spirit of fertilizing moisture, an all-powerful fish mother, and a protective goddess of vegetation, Atargatis is a nourishing and providing deity. She became well-known during the Roman era and was served by intensely devoted priests who were said to castrate themselves in her honor. She is sometimes depicted wearing a dolphin crown. Doves and snakes are sacred to her, as are fish, dolphins, and other sea creatures. The term melusine is sometimes used to define a two-tailed mermaid, like the one you may see on your Starbucks cup. But melusine is also a legendary European folk figure. She's usually depicted as a woman with the body of a serpent or fish from the waist down, and has sacred connections to water and wells. Her tales are particularly connected to France. In fact, the House of Anjou and their Plantagenet descendants claim descent from Melusine. The Counts of Luxembourg also claim to be descended from the legendary merwoman through their ancestor Siegfried. Melusine's legend usually goes something like this. A man discovers a beautiful woman bathing alone in the forest. He proposes marriage. She agrees upon one strict condition, one day of absolute privacy each week. In most versions, this is Saturday. They marry, have several children, everything is cool for a period of time. Eventually, of course, her husband becomes curious and enters her private space on Saturday. He's shocked by what he sees, his wife, in her bath, but with the tail of a fish or a serpent, and in some versions, dragon-like wings. She is discovered to be a mermaid, or dragon woman in some versions, in the Luxembourg version, the husband cries out in surprise and Melusine and her bath sink into the earth. However, in most versions, she shapeshifts into a dragon or a winged creature and flies away. 
Some of Melusine's origin stories say that she was cursed to be a dragon woman, while others say this is her natural form as a goddess from the Isle of Avalon. There is a belief among some goddess folk that the stories of magical women and fairy queens of Celtic legends are actually what remained of the lore of great goddesses after Christian priests and monks diminished their stories and eliminated any mentions of their divinity. Perhaps this is Melusine's origin. There is a particular pattern in mythology of magical or fae-born wives who wed human males on some very specific magical condition. The stories culminate with the magical wife fleeing the husband when he eventually breaks the oath, leaving behind their magical children. It's difficult to say what lesson ancient voices may have intended by using these tropes, but when it comes to recurring themes in mythology, the audience has some choice in the interpretation, and the lessons we take away from a legend may change over the course of time. Today, I'm really feeling the whole magical feminine creature escapes the confines of traditional marriage to unworthy male and terrifies the whole village in the process theme. Sign me up. I want to finish part one with an unexpected sea goddess, a figure whose story not only depicts the potential depth and violence of the sea, but also its deep healing and womb-like qualities. Sedna is a unique and tragically relatable Inuit goddess who deals with themes of betrayal, anger, boundaries, grief, trauma, nourishment, transmuting negative experiences, and isolation. Known as both the mother of the sea and the terrible one down under, her legend varies, but always ends the same. Here's one version. A father lived near the Arctic Ocean with his highly desired daughter, Sedna. For years, she refused the offers of marriage from many Inuit men. One day, a man came to Sedna, promising comforts that she could not refuse. Sedna was not aware that he was, in fact, a seabird in disguise. She flew away with him to soon discover that he had lied. Not only was her new husband a bird, but her home was a disgusting nest, and he treated her very badly. Sedna's father came to her rescue, but in stealing the birdman's wife, he angered the other birds. They flapped and raged, stirring up a tempest on the sea, where Sedna and her father were making their escape in a kayak. Her father was terrified and threw Sedna overboard. She clung fiercely to the sides of the kayak, but desperate to escape, her father cut off her fingers and pushed her into the sea. In some versions, Sedna's father was exhausted by her refusal to wed, so he drugged her and sold her to the bird disguised as suitor for some fish. And instead of being chased by an angry flock of birds, an enraged sea spirit stirred up the violent storm that prompted Sedna's father to throw her overboard. Either way, as Sedna sank to the bottom of the ocean, she transformed into a goddess, and her fingers became the creatures of the sea. She remained beneath the waves where she ruled all sea creatures and ensured that humans hunted respectfully by enforcing strict rules and boundaries. Sedna is simultaneously a goddess of nourishment and anger, providing and withholding. The nourishing sea creatures are literally part of her body. She provides them, but not without limits. Much like her origin story, she withheld herself from many potential husbands. She holds strong in her right to choose who receives her gifts and her presence, and when. She's sometimes called the lady of life and death, 
She's also a goddess of transformation and has much to teach about coping with tragedy and trauma. Sedna may sometimes represent deep, buried anger, anger and feelings of powerlessness or unacknowledged betrayal. Our unexpressed anger can sometimes lead to stress and physical illness, but anger can also be a powerful fuel for change. Sedna brings so many truths and lessons, but what really stands out to me is the reminder to treat my inner angry person with compassion, which then helps me to extend that compassion to others. Look out for part two of this series in which I'll be covering the Sirens, Lamia, Yemaya, and Morverin. Please rate and review if you've enjoyed this episode, and please tell your coven. You can learn about all of the ways to work with me by visiting blackbirdmagic.com. That's magic with a CK. There are a variety of courses and groups, mentorship sessions, custom spell work, and a link to join my free witchcraft group. Or connect with me on Instagram at witchandgoddesspod. Thanks for listening. Sources for this episode include The Encyclopedia of Spirits by Judica Illis, Dark Goddess Craft by Stephanie Woodfield, The New Book of Goddesses and Heroines by Patricia Monahan, and an uncredited article on the website for the band Waking Bear.